Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to express my gratitude to our amazing Patreons, whose support makes this podcast possible. A big thanks to everyone contributing to the podcast through Patreon. Since day one, my goal has been to provide you with the best insights into the sport, delivered directly to your ears for free, and I intend to keep it that way. However, as you may be aware, the industry is facing challenges in 2024, making industry support harder than ever to come by. If you found value in the podcast and are in a position to help, Patreon is the best way to do so. Visit patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast to set up a small, regular donation that will contribute to keeping the podcast alive and thriving. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If Patreon isn't your cup of tea, we've revamped our merchandise at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, now shipping locally in both the UK and the US. So whether it's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies or accessories like mugs, stickers and tote bags, we've got you covered. If those options don't suit you but you still want to lend a hand, the best thing you can do is to share the podcast with your riding friends, whether face-to-face, by sending them a link to an episode you think they'll love, or by sharing episodes on your social media. Every bit helps spread the word. Thank you all for your continued support and let's keep the momentum going into 2024. Are you craving a bit more downtime in your life? Well, you're in luck. You can join my newsletter where I'll be dishing out exclusive behind-the-scenes insights into the podcast, intriguing snippets from the world of mountain biking, compact product reviews of my personal favourites, exciting partner offers and more. Head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter to sign up and stay in the loop. And of course, never miss an episode by following the podcast. Simply hit the follow button in your podcast app or find dedicated buttons for all the major platforms to help you at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow you can either listen to today's episode right here or if you prefer to watch it you can now do that over on my youtube channel which is youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast i'll also pop a link to the video and everything else i've mentioned in this intro in the show notes over on my website downtimepodcast.com All right, today we're kicking off the new year with a great guest, Lauren Delorme, the mastermind behind the specialised gravity team featuring the formidable talents of Loic Bruni, Finn Isles and Jordan Williams. In our conversation, Lauren unveils his journey into team management, providing insights into his path to success while overseeing some of the fastest riders on the planet. Delve into the strategies that Lauren employs to manage a team comprising fiercely competitive riders, gain an understanding of what qualities he seeks in riders and discover how the element of exclusivity has played a pivotal role in the team's remarkable success. Lauren is the brains behind one of the most successful teams on the circuit and there is a lot to learn. So without further ado, here's Lauren Delorme. Lauren Delorme, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How are you today? You've just flown back in from some time out in California. Yeah, yeah. I'm just back from California and uh, we visited some partners and uh, yeah, I'm going pretty well. Super happy to be part of the the podcast excellent yeah it's an absolute pleasure to have you on we've been uh trying to make this happen for a little while now so i'm super keen to sit down and pick your brains on quite a lot of stuff but before we do that um where does your interest in, in mountain biking come from like when did you get into to riding and the and racing um um i was a kid i, I was in love with uh, bmx and uh i did some uh, some racing a bit then uh, like a super low level and it was just uh, the first contact with uh, with the two wheels and uh, then as soon as, soon as uh, mountain bike uh, came into europe then i wa- had the chance to buy my first uh, 24 inch uh, raleigh uh, bicycle 
And then it started like that. I was more a mountain bike fan than uh, a proper racer. But yes, yeah, since day one on two wheels, I was super addict. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And then um, what about uh, the education side of things? Like, Did you see yourself working in mountain biking, in sport, like from a young age? How did that come about? No, not at all. I think I, I've got kind of a dream job. And uh, this job, you, you can't study for it. And uh, I did for, I did a, a general uh, study to a university, then university, I did a science, sport science for five years, then economy, uh, economy of sport. Uh, and um, step by step during the, um, the, the university, I was intern and uh, I did some uh, really good internship for uh, uh, mountain bike World Cup in, Fr- in France, in Vars. Yeah. And uh, I also started an internship and worked with Taifer Bicycle. Mm-hmm. Then it was a Christian Taifer, the, the crazy uh, French rider, created his, uh, his own brand. And then I was intern for the, the last year of economy. And I started like that. I, I was not at all... Uh, I was not thinking at all about uh, making that as a job, but uh, step by step, it turned uh, as a proper job. Then, uh, yeah, it was a, a start. I wasn't expected. I, was, I, was, I wasn't expected that, but, uh, yeah, it was a, a start in the mountain bike industry like that. Yeah, definitely. And you found your way into marketing roles within the mountain bike world. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, after the internship, I started as a communication and uh, marketing manager for a French brand called uh, Q Bikes. Mm-hmm. And uh, from day one, my, my dream was to, uh, to create uh, what I called uh, um, a World Cup team. And uh, then uh, we started to sign riders and uh, uh, riders like Camelini, Julien Camelini, Cyril Lagno. And uh, it started like that for at Q Bikes. And then uh, step by step, we built a proper World Cup team, downhill World Cup team. Yeah, tell us about that then. How how did you go about putting that together, that downhill team, for the first time you did it? Yeah, then uh, year one uh, at Cubikes, we uh, we had some riders under contract. There were a BMX rider for for cross rider, and um, my goal was to create a big boom because the brand was uh, brand new, and uh, the brand was uh, in charge of uh, mass market product also for supermarkets. Then they had a, a brand called Cantum, and it was for supermarket. And I said, we have to be disruptive and we have to, to break this image. And then we have to go the highest level. And for me, the highest level was uh, Formula One. Then it was downhill. And um, I told to the boss, I said, okay, let's go for a big budget. But I think we, uh, we have to sign World Cup riders. And uh, Cyril Lagno was uh, at the end of his Maxis contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was available. Then uh, we signed with him. And we also signed Julien Camellini, who was out, out of contract after uh, a GT contract. Then uh, we started like that. And we, we, um, the goal was to, to, to prove that the brand had a, lot of background, had a lot of knowledge. And then we decided to develop our own bike. And then we started like that, uh, year one with uh, three, three frames. And uh, at the beginning, that was not super durable uh, frames. And uh, we had to improve that. And uh, in year two, year three, we started to sign super fast riders like uh, Damien Spagnolo, Michael Pascal, Emeline Rago. 
And uh, I started like that. Then uh, Q-Bike started and it was two years of, uh, of a super simple bike. And then in year three, year four, we, we show up with a really good frame. It was single pivot, pivot frame, but I was a good one, good looking. And, uh, we started to have good results, uh, with this frame. Yeah. So were you, would you consider yourself team manager at that point or were you more like in a marketing role within the brand with someone else kind of running the team? How did that, how did the setup work? Uh, at the very beginning, when we signed Cyril Lagno, he was supposed to be a rider. And then he was, uh, he was in the time of his uh, career when uh, uh, he started to push uh, to the limit. Then uh, uh, I asked him to be the, the team manager and he was the the strong face of the, um, the well-known face of the team. Then he, he was the, the, the official manager and I was the guy who negotiated all the contract and being sure that they had all the resources and all the, the right products uh, around them to perform. Then it was not a proper role of a team manager because I was more at the office making uh, sure that they've got the budget and also planning all the trips mm-hmm. and uh, Cyril was on site and uh, was the, how to say, on ground manager. Okay, makes sense. But you then, I think you had an opportunity to take on more of a team management role with Lapierre, right? How does the move to Lapierre come about? Uh, uh, after five years at Cubikes, then uh, me, I'm uh, from the south of France. And uh, what I did with Cubikes, it was in the very top north of, uh, of France. And uh, I wanted to come back uh, close to, to the family and close to my roots. And um, uh, I had the chance, because my wife, she's a flight attendant, mm-hmm. and uh, she had the chance to move to, uh, to a long travel, uh, um, only long travel and long trip. Then we were able to move back to France, to south of France. And um, we decided to move. At the beginning, I was supposed to be uh, run, uh, randomly uh, the communication ma- manager for Q-Bikes but Gilles Lapierre, the owner of Lapierre he heard that uh, Cyril and I uh, were moving um, out of uh, Q-Bikes and then he said okay let's discuss and let's start uh, to see if uh, you are able to, to run uh, the program for us and we had already on board uh, uh, the, um, uh, the car brand uh, Sab and we had Salomon also and uh, Sab and Salomon, even even if I I were I were not I, I was not um, employee, but they said okay, we keep supporting you, and uh, no problem, we keep uh, investing in the team. Then uh, instead of doing the Q bikes uh, Sab Salomon, I we started to do the Lapierre Sab Salomon team for uh, for uh, Gilles Lapierre, and that was also the beginning uh, in 07 when we started. I started uh, Pure Agency, my own company. Yeah. So was that uh, in that early days, was that your company running the team for Lapierre or was it a Lapierre factory yeah. team that you were managing? Like how was that set up? From day one with uh, Lapierre, I, uh, it was uh, through my company, Pure Agency. Uh-huh. I call that company, but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, officially registered. But at the very beginning, it was uh, not a lot of people and uh, everybody just as a subcontractor. Then, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, uh, I run my own business since uh, 07 mm-hmm. and uh, since I, we moved to, to Lapierre, but it was really small at the very beginning. Yeah. So how do you go about 
putting together all the necessary infrastructure at that point in time. I guess you you had that Saab Salomon link, which was obviously super helpful, but there's a lot of stuff to kind of get in place, I guess, to run a, a World Cup team, even more so now probably than there was then, but still a lot of work to be done. How did you pull everything together to get a season ready to go? Uh, the, the goal was to find a proper office because there is a lot of time uh, at the office to... Uh, to plan everything, to organize everything, to book everything. There is a lot of legal side also that we have to take care of. Then I wanted to have a proper office. And in the same time, I was looking, I was looking for a proper, um, uh, place to, uh, storage and, um, and workshop to be able to build the bikes and everything. Then, uh, around Avignon, I found that and, uh, I started with a real office. Uh, where I was able to welcome uh, partners and where I was able to do meetings. And in the same time, we had a, we had a storage. It was not a super clean one and it was not big enough, but it was the, um, it was the, the right place we rented at the beginning to store all the products, all the wheels, tires, and uh, also for all the vehicles, because that was also the time when we had the big truck. And, um, and then we, we started like that. And uh, now, since four years, I found a proper space, a really clean um, warehouse where we have workshop, where we have everything, the facilities, and then we can uh, we can organize from this place. But yeah, at the beginning, that was on two sites. And uh, that was like that. We had some random uh, people coming, the mechanics coming in to, to build the bikes and also to organize the, the stock and the storage. Then uh, we started like that. Yeah, so straight into running things at a pretty high level, and you had some some big names on that team. I think did it start with was it David Vasquez and Danny Hart that you started with on Lapier? Exactly, exactly. We wanted it was the same as uh, when I started Cubex. We wanted to create a bond, and uh, then we started with David, who, uh, who was uh, still at the highest level, and uh, then Danny Hart as a junior. And uh, from day one, Danny was uh, really impressive as a super confident and uh, super easy with all, like the new generation of riders, super easy to jump big things and uh, super, uh, yeah, able to do tricks. Then, uh, yeah, from uh, from the beginning with uh, with Lapierre, it was a really strong team. Yeah, impressive. And, and throughout the years as well, you had some amazing people on that roster. Um, Emeline Ragot, I think, who you'd worked with in the past, you signed Sam yeah. Blenkinsop, um, which is a you know, huge name still is. And and latterly, Loic Bruni as well. Like, what was it for you? I guess you come from the same part of France, like the same the mm -hmm. southern area of France as Loic does. But what did you see in Loic in those early days that made you want to sign him? Loic was already a special character, a special one. He was a super good kid, super talented, and he was super. He was well known because of his dad. And um, and at Lapierre, then uh, what we started with a strong junior and a, and a strong elite elite rider, I wanted to to keep doing the same uh, with uh, every time. Then uh, Loic was uh, was on the short list, and uh, at Lapierre we had no limit. It's not because the team was in France that we had to sign a French rider, but Loic was uh, one of the super uh, strong. Uh, youth rider and uh, I met him and his dad uh, at Megavalanche in Alpe d'Huez 
and I was uh, I was racing there, and I saw him, and he was uh, already with all the crew of friends like uh, Guillaume Covin and uh, Loris Vergier, uh, Mathieu Galéan, a lot of people who were World Cup racer or, or people who are still involved in the World Cup racing, and um, he was with all the group of uh, of guys like that, and I came and I said. Uh, I know that you already have some contacts for next season uh, as a first-year junior, but I want to be sure that you will consider the offer I will do because we have a really good plan for you. And uh, then uh, I met his dad and it started like that. Yeah, and you brought Loris onto the program as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Loris uh, came two years after because Loic is two years younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Loic, uh, Loic was on board and Loris was on board. They are super good friends. They they live uh, they 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 were, they are born in the same area. Mm -hmm. Then uh, yeah, in this program we had uh, really talented riders. Yeah, definitely, you really did. I want and I want to talk yeah. a little bit, and I think we'll come back to this because there's a bit of a theme here. But I wanted to talk about managing rivalries within the team, um, uh -huh. and obviously, you know, I think Loic came in probably in his own words as a real fanboy of Sam Blenkinsop. Like he really looked yeah. up to Sam and. I think he sees Sam as someone that helped Loic almost become accepted in the sport as a French rider, which at the time wasn't the case. Like there was almost this outsider thing surrounding some of the French riders, I think off the back of, of Nico and Fabian and these people that were really, really serious about things at the time, um, mm -hmm. which maybe didn't wash with the other riders. But as Loic was in the team for a time, like, he really started to challenge Sam and, and I'm guessing that there's, it's inevitable that some sort of rivalry forms. How, in that instance, how do you manage that situation? Like how do you deal with a rider who's suddenly gone from being one of the best to getting threatened by the sort of junior rider that's on the way up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also at the beginning, they had the same mechanic. There were, it was Jack, Jack Roe who was in charge of uh, Sam and, uh, and Loic. Then uh, at the very beginning, it was how to say uh, some some were super proud and super happy to uh, to have Loic coming in. And uh, when uh, uh, Loic came in, we also had Cameron Cole uh, on board. Then I think Cameron was more the um, the holder holder brother. Mm -hmm. And then he, he tried to uh, to explain what to do, what to not do. And Sam was uh, instantly like the the older brother, but more to enjoy the life and uh, do some crazy things and uh, and uh, teach him how to enjoy the life. Yeah. And uh, as you said, Loic was super fan of, of uh, Sam. And it's certainly the reason why he signed uh, with us because uh, it was uh, his idol. And he said, okay, I have the opportunity to sign with my idol, then uh, let's go. And then um, this pool of riders, Cam was not uh, support was not supported by the same mechanic, but uh, Sam and, uh, and Loic uh, they were. And uh, year one, Loic was already super fast, and uh, he kicked a bit the ass of uh, of Sam. Then it was super funny because uh, Sam is a really competitive rider, and I uh, wanted to to keep the leadership. Then they started to uh, to poke and to uh, to to make some joke, and um, that was good. And uh, for me, that was not the easiest uh, easiest part of the job, and that was not the easiest part of the management because they had the same resources, they had the same contact point as Jack. Yeah. 
uh, then uh, Jack wanted to bring the the data acquisition, and uh, it worked pretty well with Loic, and it was not a success for Sam, for example. Then uh, it was a bit hard at the beginning. Now, to be honest, managing uh, uh, three riders who are able to win, it's super easy because they all have their their own mechanic. Mm-hmm. Then they can create their pool of performance, and they can have uh, access to me. I, I just I'm just trying to provide them resources. I'm just trying to offer the, uh, to offer them um, the the best uh, yeah the best uh, ingredients. And then they pick what they want to use, and they 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 manage how how to cook it, how to uh, how to to make it happening. But at the beginning, to be honest, it was uh, it was not the uh, super easy to to manage that. And uh, because of Loic and Sam, they now they I can say they love each other, and then they respect a lot each other. Then it was uh, um, they were a rival, but I was okay. But I think in a, with different riders, it would have been a, a big problem. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's a lesson learned then to separate off yeah. those groups and give them, like you say, give them their own resources. Is that something that you feel is one of yeah. the key ways to manage that now? That's something you'll always do within your teams. Mm-hmm. Was there, yeah, was there yeah. a, a fight over who got Jack? Or were you not giving uh-huh. that as an option? Uh-huh. The problem is that uh, Loic in uh, year one and year two of junior, he was already super fast and he did two podium. Then uh, I think it was a kind of a natural move. And uh, and also uh, Sam uh, not struggled a bit, but uh, he had some hard time also in terms of performance. And uh, then step by step, uh, it was uh, like uh, on a natural way that uh, Loic... Uh, Loic became kind of of the leader, and then had the full support of uh, of Jack uh, full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which has proven to be super valuable. Uh, the team had a lot of success. I think you went on to take the number one team and the overall in twenty fourteen, along with junior world champs with Loris, um, mm-hmm. and then Loic took the twenty fifteen elite world champs win for you in Valnord. How does it feel as the team manager to start getting that level of success? <sighs> To be honest, you always look for the better spot. Then uh, as soon as you have your riders uh, qualifying for the final, then you want them to be 20. As soon as they are top 20, you are looking for the top 10. And when they are top 10, you are looking for the box with the top five. And then uh, it's uh, it never ends. <laughs> then uh, there's, there's no limit, to be honest. And uh, even if there is one top spot, but uh, we are still looking for the this one. Then uh, yeah, it was super good. But in the same time, you don't realize that you uh, you step up the game and you step up the, the performance because you never had to to focus on better. Then uh, it was not uh, like a proper plan. I can't say that we did a meeting and we said okay, instead of of looking for the top twenty, we go for the win. It's not like that. It was more a process and. Uh, Working of uh, working with all the right people around me also helps me to uh, to to grow to step up, and then you don't realize you don't you don't plan that it's more a natural uh, process. Yeah, fair, and it's incredible success up into that elite world champs in 2015. But then at the end of 2015, Lapierre decided to change focus. I think Enduro was more kind of where they wanted to focus their effort. 
what was that like from your perspective? Because you've built this incredibly successful team. These riders have benefited massively from it. And then suddenly you're sort of left without a title sponsor. Yeah, we were. We, I think we. Uh, it was uh, during the seventh year of, of partnership with Lapierre. And um, uh, the, the owner of Lapierre, uh, Gilles Lapierre, came to me and said, Laurent, we will have to, to make a decision because road cycling also is uh, asking for more budget. And uh, the, uh, Enduro was, uh, was there, but to be honest, it was not big investment. And uh, road cycling was, um, was pushing. And uh, he said, I'm not anymore the only to decide because uh, Lapierre is part of Axel Group. And the group will certainly push to, uh, to focus on the road cycling. Then if there is any opportunity... Uh, let me know and we'll try to find a way to, uh, to end the partnership. Then it was super fair and um, I, I still owe him a lot because he was, he was super honest and uh, it offered me the chance to start talking with, uh, with other brands. And uh, Specialized was, um, was looking for signing Loic, uh, but not, not a team because they had already their own team with Choi. Mm -hmm. And um, we spoke also with uh, other different brands. And uh, Specialized was keen to, to sign Loic. And they came to me in Andorra, the sports marketing manager. I think it was Gavin Noble. And um, Gavin said, OK, we, uh, what's the price for Loic's contract? <laughs> and I said, there's no price. <laughs> yeah. He came back two hours after. He said, OK. I can do a big offer. What's the price? And I say, no, Loic, ask him, but Loic will never leave the team. And, uh, but the team maybe is available. And I left. And the day after he came back and he said, can you explain me? Because I didn't understand. And I told him, okay, you see the truck, you see all the riders, you see the staff, then uh, we, can, we can switch if you want. And uh, we, can, we can switch to, uh, to Specialized. And uh, in uh, one month, everything will be Specialized branded. And then he left again. Loic won the Loic won the race, uh, world champion. He came back to me and he said, "Okay, <laughs> what's uh, what's what's next to to sign the, the whole team?" And then it started like that. That's incredible. Did you feel a lot of pressure in that instance? Because you know they've had Aaron and Troy in the past. It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, bike brand on the planet. Like. Mm -hmm. it, no, no offense to Lapierre, and you had a lot of success there. But Specialized is mm -hmm. kind of on another scale, I would say, to a brand like Lapierre. Yeah, yeah, and Specialized is a winning machine. Then you know that when you sign Specialized, you have to you have to be on top. If you are not uh, at the highest level, uh, you are not what they are looking for, and then you know that it's going to end. Then uh, it was a lot of extra pressure, and especially also because we we. We discussed in the same time with uh, two other brands, and uh, it was our choice because um, I had my own feeling, but I wanted to make that choice, that switch uh, with all, all the key players in my team. And then everybody was a bit involved, and then uh, everybody told me that Specialized was one of the best, the best option. And then uh, for me, it was tricky because it was kind of a dream. For me, I always said to my friends, if I have to buy a bike, I, I will buy a Specialized. And uh, if I uh, if I pay big money, I will. it's going to be for a Specialized one. Then uh, it was kind of a dream for me. But in the same time, I was aware that 
uh, it was extra pressure and it was uh, it was top spot only. Then uh, yeah, it was extra pressure, but uh, a lot of uh, also happiness. Then it was uh, something to balance. Yeah, worth taking the risk. Clearly, was it when you yeah. made the move to specialize that you took on Olin's? Am I right in thinking that? Um, it was on year two because okay. uh, at the very beginning we were specialized uh, rock shocks, mm-hmm. and um, uh, specialized brought Olin's to us and said that there is kind of an industrial project, but maybe Olin's uh, is interested to support uh, the highest level of uh, mountain bike uh, downhill. Then uh, are you keen? And uh, Jack, the uh, Loix mechanic, is also my uh, what we can say is more than the head mechanic. He's also like the the technical brain leader for all the choice for the team. And Jack said, "I know the brand. They they are doing magic on a motorcycle on a road. Then uh, let's let's offering let's offer them a chance to enter the this uh, this uh, business." Yeah. And then we did some tests and it was at the very beginning, there were not, uh, there, it was, a, a cast coming like a standard cast, uh, but with their cart- cartridge inside and it was already something pretty good. And then we started like that with, uh, testing, uh, with Loic and Miranda mm-hmm. and, uh, it was kind of a green light. Yeah. And it's one of the things I think that gives you a bit of a differentiation from other teams, like certainly up until fairly recent anyway, there weren't really other teams on Olin's. And I think still you're the only team that has that sort of full factory support from Olin's, yeah. um, which has got to be a good position to be in, right? Because anything these days that's a differentiator that gives you a potential advantage is worth having. It's getting harder and harder to find those things, I think. Exactly. If you want to perform, you need exclusive uh, support. Then uh, for me, that's the most important thing. And uh, for example, on the tire side, we are supported by Specialized. Mm-hmm. And uh, me, I love this partnership not it, not because it's not only because it's Specialized, but but we Specialized. If we want, we can have exclusive products. And then, uh, for example, the Cannibal we developed with the team uh, for one year, we were able to we were the only one, the only team able to use it. Then uh, it was performance, and uh, now the tire is available. And to be honest, uh, the tire you can buy is exactly the tire, uh, the winning tire of uh, all the race of Finn and Loic. Then uh, it's a super good tire, but we had an exclusivity for one year, and that was great. And uh, I think on the suspension side, it must be the same, and it must be the same on all the key uh, departments or, or all the key products on the bike. We need exclusive uh, products because the riders they are they they are playing with a 0.5, 0.2, 0.1, and uh, if we want to be the best, we need uh, exactly what they are looking for. Then uh, Olin's and uh, the support we've got from them is the best support ever uh, because our rider also they know exactly what they want. Then we can ask for that and they are able to deliver it. Yeah. And that's perfect. Yeah, I guess similar with Magura as well. I mean, other riders have Magura, but you guys, again, seem to have sort of the factory level support. What, you know, I think there was levers developed for the riders specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, again, it's it, all these little, the, the, the phrase marginal gains gets used, I guess, but they're harder and harder to find. And, and when you look at Specialized from that perspective as a team, you guys have more than any other team out there, I think. 
yeah, we were super lucky. And uh, all the agreement we had with all the partners, I think we signed the right one. And uh, we have the chance to have super high-level uh, riders. Then we also have the chance to to decide what, what partner we want to sign uh, a deal with. Then uh, the exclusivity, and as you said, Magura, we've got special shape of the, the liver. We can have an internal trick inside. It doesn't mean that the product, the base of the product is not good, but now... The product is good, and you have to adapt to the style or the um, what the rider wants. Then that's the most important thing. There is no perfect bike. There is just one perfect bike for one rider, and that's what we are looking for. And with the um, with Specialized, it's exactly the same. The frame we've got, it's in-house produced. It's exactly fitting what the riders are looking for. And at the end, the bikes, Finn and Loic bikes, are not the same at all in terms of kinematic and feeling. Then uh, if we we have the chance, we built that, we worked hard to have that, and now we've got that, then uh, I will never uh, stop working like that. All the partners are, who are working around this team, they have to they have to accept that, that exclusivity and providing exactly what the riders is looking for is the key to, to succeed. Yeah, nice. And it feels like um, Jack and Loic's work on the data acquisition side of things is kind of leading the way within the the sport, I would say. They've been at it for the longest and they seem to have a very deep understanding of it. Is that something that you've been behind or is that something that Jack and Loic have kind of just gone away and, and done over the years? We spoke a lot with Jack because that was uh, something that, for example, Nico Vuyo's had back in the days and he had that on, on his bike and we wanted to introduce that but we knew at the very beginning that we were not ready the process was not clean enough the riders we had uh, on board they were not precise enough because uh, if you want to do data you have to be really focused you have to to use the same involvement for every race uh, every run you have to uh, you have to be uh, smart uh, if you ride and crash everything then uh, it's impossible then uh, yeah I I was um, at the very beginning with Jack we thought about that and it was uh, Jack already had a whole uh, data acquisition and then we went to uh, another supplier called Antidote they are um, they are specialists based in France uh, there were two people working uh, back in the days for Sun Bicycle or other brand or Commensal and then they left. They created their own uh, their own brand, and their their brand was to support uh, bicycle brands uh, to develop new things. And uh, we asked them to support us uh, during this project, just to be sure that we bought uh, we we bought the right product and we set it up properly. And then they provided that, and uh, we started um, we started using it. And I was really involved with Jack because Jack, at the very beginning, was not in love with computer, <laughs> and I was more geek. I was more geek than him. Then uh, I was the computer user, and he was the guy uh, putting the, um, the the potentiometer linear on the on the bike and uh, acquiring the data. And uh, after uh, one year and a half, Jack was uh, really independent, and uh, he was uh, already way smarter than me on the way to use the computer then uh, yeah i i helped for the beginning and uh really quickly he was able to uh to run that uh, by itself 
And then he involved step-by-step step, uh, Loic into the process because it's super important. Loic is really smart. Uh, he was really a smart student. He's a really smart uh, person. And um, he was able to understand that. Then at the very beginning, no data. But step-by-step, step, Jack uh, teached him how to read the, the curve and the graphs. And, um, and Loic really likes to understand then uh, it was a real good process, and now these two they are super, they are super uh, smart, and they know how to use it. Even if sometimes using data is creating more problem because you have extra extra mechanical part, you have wire. You, now there is some wireless system, but you still have to uh, um, record it. You, you still have to ask the rider to uh, to press button to start it. Then. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a heavy process, but it's working well with these two. Yeah, it seems to be. And how, how much gets shared? Because those guys have clearly built up a lot of knowledge and understanding. How do you as a team approach sharing that knowledge with Kev and Finn and Nathan and Jordan, the other sort of mechanic rider groups? Uh-huh. The, three, uh, the three of them, they have data. And the three of them, they use it. Then uh, they can they help each other when... Uh, it, when uh, they need some support or they need to create a special tool or this type of little details, except that on the analyze part, it's uh, up to each mechanic to analyze the, the graph and to set up uh, the suspension and the bike the way his rider is looking for. Because to be honest, the bike, uh, the bike that Jordan had in Lenzeride and he won with at the beginning of 23 season. If you give this bike to Loic, maybe he can do like a top eight, top 12, but he will not perform. Uh And uh, the bike is the same, but the setup is not at all the same. The linkage is not at all the same. And then the result is not at all the same. Okay. So it relies on the mechanic rider partner to learn, but the technology and the implementation of the technology is something that gets shared across everybody. Yeah, exactly. They've got little tips and they used to share this type of thing. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Let's talk a bit about Finn. He joined the team in 2014 and at that point, I think was too young to race World Cups. What was it about Finn that made you want to get hold of him and sign him up so early? <laughs> uh, Finn, uh, it was uh, Sam Blinkinsop. Uh, we were in Monsantan, and Sam told me there is a super fast forerunner. He's crazy, it's crazy. I can't follow him in the tight corner. Then I went to the finish, I uh, watching the, the, the guys, and then I saw him. Then I said, Okay, you, uh, who are you? Then he said, oh, I'm Finn Ives. Say, Okay, we've got a project, I've got a team, blah, blah, blah. I started to connect with him. And uh, we spent like 10, 15 min- uh, minutes uh, together at the finish of uh, Mont saint It was uh, during training, then uh, no rush with the race. And then he, he left. He spoke with his friends, came back to me and said, who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm Laurent. I'm Laurent and I am managing uh, uh, the team, blah, blah, blah. He said, ah, okay. Then we, connect- we connected like that. And uh, the week after, I think we were in U.S., I don't remember if it was Windham or somewhere like that. And uh, the, uh, uh, Alison was there, then uh, uh, Finn's mom. And then we, uh, we, we spoke again, and I did an offer after this event. And uh, they agreed with it. And then a few weeks after, he won the whip-off. 
Then uh, we signed him before he was uh, the let fin in thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, that was a crazy start like that. And then Finn uh, jumped into the the team. A lot of confidence, super, super good on the good skills on the bike, really aggressive. And we did kind of the hat trick, super happy with that. Then uh, every race he came, he, he was uh, with the team, but he wasn't able to be uh, to race. Then every single uh, organi- uh, lock, lock, I connected with them to know if he, he was able to be a forerunner. And then he, he was the forerunner for all races, all the year. And uh, then he, he started to connect with the media, with the photographer, with uh, other mates, with other riders. And then he, uh, he became junior, but first year junior, he knew already everybody, he knew every, uh, already all the tracks. And since then, all the managers, they were furious, the other manager, <laughs> and uh, they asked QCI to modify the rule. Then now it's forbidden. Uh, now, if you want to be forerunner, you must be junior and uh, you must be uh, supported by the National Federation. Uh-huh. And uh, that, uh, we had the same problem this year with uh, Aza Vermet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was he was forerunner, but he was not junior. Then uh, after two runs, then uh, foo, big, uh, big <laughs> message on WhatsApp group. Oh, blah, 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 blah. He will do the same as Finn, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, he had to stop uh, being the forerunner for, uh, for Snowshoe. But I was super funny. I was super, super happy to see him on track. And it reminds me what we did with Finn. And at the end, I think it's smart because if you are fast enough to be forerunner, whoever you are, if you are underage, you can ride and it's good. And for sure, it's an advantage, but if you are good, it's always an advantage. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see that guy between the tape and the World Cups next year. And Finn, again, yeah. you've gone into this position where you've got a really top elite rider in Loic, and then you've got an up-and-coming fast junior in Finn and you've got another relationship to manage, right? You've got this like Loic, I'm sure, initially taking people under his wing, helping them out. But ultimately, Finn at some point becomes a threat to Loic. Again, how do you deal with that? You've got these separate pods, I guess, of like mechanic rider. So that's resolved. But they've still got to live in the same accommodation, share the truck, like all of this kind of stuff. How do you how do you manage that over the years as it develops? Finn was super hungry at the beginning. Then he came and he wanted to win everything. And uh, that was cool for that. And we had, uh, when he came into the team, we also had Loris Vergier, who was super fast. Then it was a really strong team. And uh, uh, they were a rival, but um, uh, Finn and, uh, and uh, Loris, uh, it was uh, under the umbrella of Kevin. And, and uh, Loris is super easygoing um, rider. It's not hard to, to manage. Then uh, that, was, that was good at the beginning, really good. And uh, I think now, to be honest, it's more a power than a, it's more an advantage than a disadvantage because they are smart enough to share the right things. And for sure, uh, if there is something special or if there is a, a good line, if one of the others see the line, it will not come straight away and say, okay, this line is faster. But if the other asks, it will be honest and it will tell the truth. Then uh, they are really honest. They've got um, their rival, but they help each other. And I think that's the power of the team because uh, they are all looking for the same spots. 
top top of the box, but they are smart enough to help each other because they know that uh, that they will be at the end. They will be faster if they help each other. For me, I always say we have to use the power of the group for individual performance, and I trust in that. It's super hard to build that because you need the right athletes, the right staff. But in our team, it's working well. So is that is that? Do you, would you put that down to luck that they work together in that way, or have you seen something in these people and understood their personalities before putting them together in a team that gives you a confidence that that's gonna happen? Yeah, I never sign a rider I'm not confident in, and I I really love my team. I love people I've got on board. Then I don't want to add a rider, even if it's a super fast rider, but I don't want to add somebody who don't fit in the team. Then uh, for sure, before signing anybody, uh, there is a lot of discussion with the generally with the rider, with the parents or the close people around the mechanic. Then uh, for me, that's the key. And uh, for sure, sometimes we are unable to sign riders. But at the end, it's uh, it seems that our program is uh, really stable, and uh, since uh, 16 years now uh, running a pure agency, then it's working not too bad. Then uh, I trust in this type of choice, and I don't want like a little soldier coming into the team and uh, having no rules and uh, destroying all the atmosphere and the vibe. Yeah. I really need uh, that's my my focus. I really want to keep the vibe and the the right uh, productive atmosphere. Can you can you put into words those the characteristics that you look for in a young rider when you're having that conversation? Because performance is relatively easy to see, I think, compared to these more like personality traits. Like, how would you describe what it is you look for? On the sports side, for sure, you. Um... Uh, with the time, you can feel you can feel that uh, the rider is uh, is able to to ride with uh, overspeed, and um, you can feel that he's able to take the right risk at the right time. Then this is the sport side, but I'm really focused on the on the the education, the mindset, the people around the rider. If it's uh, if you have if you have to connect with an agent. If you have to connect with a representative, if you connect with the dad or the mom, if you connect with the mechanic or friends, then uh, I like being sure that uh, I, I like knowing the parents. I really, I really love sharing with the parents before signing anything, because at the end, they are they 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 they, they are a lot of they are part of the the mindset and. Um, I struggled a bit with some of the parents, for example, uh, with Danny, and we spoke a lot with that. But uh, Paul uh, Paul Hart was looking for the best for his son, and he was, um, I think, he was as good as he was bad for Danny. Danny was super good because he was looking for the best, and he was uh, he was always on the back of everybody trying to uh, to improve the condition of Danny. But in the same time, some uh, he's not an expert. And uh, he don't know everything internally, and he don't know how to run a team. Then it was kind of a disadvantage. Then uh, this type of parents, I try to not sign uh, with the riders because for me that was sad to lose uh, to lose Danny, and that was sad to lose him because of the relationship with the dad. Mm-hmm. Then uh, now I'm I'm really I really care uh, about that, 
and I really try to be, yeah, to be careful and be sure that I know the atmosphere, the environment around the, the athletes. Yeah. How would you, how would you think about your own relationship with the riders? Do you put a lot of effort into it? Is it different from rider to rider? Yeah, they, they are, it's like kids at home. I've got three kids, three boys and, uh, in the team, it's the same. Then, uh, they, um, they have the, the same staff around them. It's under the same truck, but they are not asking for the same thing and they are not focused on the same details. Then, uh, you can have, uh, uh, some of the athletes, you can have, uh, no call for two or three weeks. And some of the athletes, you have uh, one or two message every day and uh, one or two call every week. Then uh, it depends on the, the character. It depends on, uh, on, uh, who they are personally. And then I, I'm, my goal is just to be sure that I am available as soon as they need me. I must be available. Then that's, that's, uh, my role to be sure that whatever happens uh, during the day, during the night, if they need me, they can, uh, they can ask me and they can uh, have an answer. That's my role. Yeah. And it must be working, right? It shows in the results, but it also shows in a huge amount of loyalty to the team, both from riders and from the brands that you work with, which I guess must make it even harder when someone steps away from the team, right? Which Loris did in 2017, I think, to join the syndicate, which Uh is another huge team on the circuit. And you can see, why that's an attractive proposition for a rider as well. But how does that feel when someone that you've been this almost father figure to on the team, I guess, for such a long period of time decides to fly away and, uh, and go and do their own thing away from the team? Yeah, I lost, uh, I lost kind of a son when he left. And uh, for me, that was really rude. And I had some hard time to understand. And uh, step by step with the discussion we had and with the position and with uh, what uh, what Loris did and what he's currently doing, I have the feeling that it was not uh, teams related, but it was more uh, the, his position with Loic in the team. And uh, Loic is um, is really kind, but in the same time, he's the leader and he wants to stay the leader in uh, in the program. And uh, we can see that with Jordan, with Finn, they are look, uh, all looking for the, the the leadership in the team. Then uh, I felt. I understood afterwards that maybe Loris felt that he was unable to compete internally and to become the leader in the team. And that's the reason why he left. If you, if you consider what he did at syndicate track world, uh, track uh, racing, maybe he did the, the right choice because he's performing well. He did uh, pretty good things. Um, I'm sure that I, I was able to provide him really good condition and i'm sure that on board uh, the results would have been a bit better but that's just uh that's just me and uh we can't we can't start back you know it's a history it's like that and at the end i'm happy because loic is super strong and uh is doing well in the team Finn is the same then maybe uh if we if we had not the problem with Loic, it would have been with uh, with Finn. Mm-hmm. Then I'm happy that Finn is evolving super well also in the team. And uh, then it, it was at the end certainly the right choice. Yeah, interesting. And you had a pretty stable setup then for a good few years with Loic, Finn and Chris Grice coming up through the program as well. Made yeah. a change to that more recently, bringing Jordan Williams on board. Jordan, I think, was still under contract um, in his previous team. 
how does that work? Because it's a small world. Like, how do you work through that to make sure like everyone's okay with these things? Uh, the the industry is a super small world, and I've got a lot of respect for all the other program and all the other manager. Then uh, you can ask the other, but as soon as I want, I start to talk uh, to one of the rider. Then the manager or the brand is aware. The other brand or the other manager is aware. Then I did that, and um, I just told to uh, to Jordan that uh, if there was any chance to have him on board, he, uh, it was important for me to know that. Then I told him that, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I can discuss with you." And I said, "Okay, uh, what's the situation on the legal side?" And he said, I think, because he's not a legal expert, but he said, I think that I've got a, um, a buyout. Mm -hmm. Then I said, okay, you check that. If you've got a buyout, for me, it's a green light. Then as soon as you give me the green light, I will let uh, Will Longden know that I will talk to you. And uh, that's what I did. And uh, that's the reason why he was able to leave. It was because of a buyout in his, uh, in his contract. Uh, okay. That's it. I didn't... Yeah, we we uh, I will never hire uh, a lawyer to go against a current contract. If the rider is uh, is um, is under contract, I don't try to break any contract. But if there is a buyout term, for sure, and if the rider is available and if the rider is keen to move, it's another part of the job. Yeah, interesting. And Jordan is clearly a fiercely competitive individual, as are your existing <laughs> two riders in Loic and Finn. Um, but you've done your due diligence, I'm sure, and you feel like you can make this team culture work with these three riders. When do you start doing that work? Like, I'm assuming you don't just turn up at the first race and hope everything's going to fall into place. What things do you do through the off-season when you've had a team change like that to make sure you're in from a team dynamics point of view, you're in the best position to start the season well. The first, I, as I told you, when we moved from Lapierre to Specialized, the, the riders and the key staff was involved. They were all involved in the choice. And it's the same when I start talking with uh, with one uh, rider. Then uh, uh, Finn and Loic, they were aware. And uh, the key staff, uh, everybody was aware about uh, the discussion we had with uh, with uh, Jordan and uh, it's always the same when there is some change uh, with the key staff or with people on board, there is always discussion internally. And then after, I really uh, want to spend some time before the, the, the season with all the group then uh, for Jordan and uh, for the the first step he had in, into the team. It was last year and we, we, had, we, we traveled to California to discover the specialized facilities in uh, in Morganil, in Auburn. And then we had some good time also at Supercross. We, we went to uh, NBA game. Then um, we start, I, I start to connect everybody uh, doing mountain bike, doing cycling, but also doing other things to be sure that it's going to fit, to feel the, um, to fit the, to feel the, the first fight. And uh, for example, last year, uh, first weekend, first week all together and uh, we felt the competition because uh, Jordan lost at Uno and <laughs> threw the card on the table and he left into his room. Then uh, <laughs> we knew that we had a really competitive uh, rider but it was also a good uh, good feeling for the other because they felt strong and they, they, they knew that they were able to uh, 
to 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 make it not as stable as uh, it seems to be. Yeah. And that was good. But uh, yeah, we always spend a lot of time all together uh, during off season. That's good to hear. And I mean, clearly things went pretty well, right? Round one, you've got three very hungry riders, and it was an incredible race for all of us to watch. But three specialized gravity riders on the box um, for you: Finn in fifth, Loic in third, and Jordan taking the win. I guess from your perspective, like other than taking a one, two, three, things don't get a huge amount better than that. But also I can imagine it's maybe not the easiest thing for the team to have this junior rider that's just joined the squad and he's just getting used to the bike and the suspension beating the kind of two existing factory riders. Like how was that for you? And then how was it within the team and how did you deal with that at the time? First, that was really, really good feeling because we are working that hard to perform than being every, having everybody on the podium, all the staff, all the riders. And it's a huge amount of really positive emotion. Then uh, it's great to, to have this type of result for sure. I think the negative point was not for the the internal vibe and was not for the other rider, not for Finn and Loic, because they were already aware that uh, Jordan was really competitive. I think the hardest part was, was for Jordan himself, because to be honest, that was not exactly the, the, the plan I had in mind. And uh, I wanted to have him growing and uh, uh, being more and more confident and then being able to perform uh, from middle to the end of the season and uh, winning the first one for him that was like a surfing the, the biggest wave ever then he did it and then after he, he has been caught by the wave and then it was a kind of a roller coaster but at the end it was uh, first year with uh, the fastest les- lesson ever because he won then he, he was he was super high super low he missed some uh, some quality this year then I think it was the best lesson ever. For sure, that was not exactly the plan. And in sports, you can't plan everything. Then, uh, especially in downhill, uh, it's a mechanical sport. Then uh, you can have the weather, you can have the mechanical uh, problem. Then uh, you can't plan everything. But at the end, if you think about it, that was a super good lesson for for him. And for the other, that was just a little uh, pinch, little kick <laughs> to say, okay, guys, yeah. <laughs> Now on board you've got a you've got a fast another fast rider then uh, let's uh, let's train harder and let's push uh, the limit. Definitely, yeah, it's been a super interesting year for all of the team, I think. And with that, like you say, with that win comes a huge amount of of pressure, an insane amount of media attention that Jordan definitely won't have experienced up until that point in time. Is there stuff you can do to help him with that side of things? It's, I guess it's almost like the mental health aspect of, of riding. Yeah, my role is to protect him. And uh, for sure, uh, there, it was extra pressure. He was, he was not yet able to, to deal with. Then um, I helped him to stay away a bit, to protect him and to come back stronger. Uh, it took some time because uh, it's things that you have to leave. It's like a a world champ uh, race run. You can't plan the the world champ race run. You have to leave it to understand it and try to improve it for the next one. And it's one time a year, then it's super hard. Then uh, these type of things, uh, how to deal with uh, the emotion when you win, 
you have to experience it. You have to live it. And then based on that, you have to readjust things. Then uh, I tried to protect him. And uh, I think uh, at the end of the season, he understood it. And uh, Jordan is somebody who uh, uh, it takes some time to have his confidence. Yeah, uh, you, we have to work hard to deserve his confidence. Then uh, I think now he's, uh, he's super confident in the team and uh, he's got really good relation. And uh, this high and, high and low time helped me also to, to be able to, to share with him the, the right words and to help him to, to, uh, to manage that. Then uh, that was perfect for me in terms of management. That was perfect for me. Yeah, interesting. And you've got, um, I guess, a few examples in the team of different, or at least what it looks like from the outside, different levels of um, like hardware made available to riders. And, and the first one that got talked about a lot this season was Jordan being on the old version of the demo and not the new bike that, that Loic and Finn was on. What went into that? Was it a you're the new guy, you've got to earn your stripes kind of thing? Or were there were there other things going on behind the scenes that maybe we didn't all see? For me, that was more a safe choice because everything was new for him except his mechanic. He, he came uh, into the program with uh, Nathan. It was his mechanic at, um, at Madison. Then uh, except Nathan, everything was new. New braking system, new suspension, uh, new tires. Uh, then it was a lot of new things. And uh, the six bar, we know it pretty well, and we know how to make it efficient. Then uh, for for me, that was a safe choice, and uh, that was easier to have him on this bike that we know well. And uh, there was no plan to have him on the on the leg bike for the the 23 season, mm -hmm. and he knew that from day one, and uh, we we kept uh, this plan. And uh, just to let you know, but yeah, I, I, we are coming back from California and he did some uh, some riding on the the UBB, the luck bike, and he's going to be on the UBB for next season. Ah, interesting. That'd be cool to see. Mm -hmm. Did he, did he, yeah. was that decision made on feel? Was it made by going against the clock? Like what's driven that? The, the UBB is a super, how to say? There is a super wide range of adjustment we can do on this bike. Yeah. Then uh, the plan was to have him at the end of the season on it, and he did his uh, the riding, and uh, he's already super confident on the bike. Then uh, that was the plan like that, and uh, there's no no reason to to step back, uh, even if the the, the six bar it will stay maybe alive in the market for the next season. Mm -hmm. But the the, the UBB. Uh, is a proper good choice. Yeah. But that was that was the the right choice for year two. Okay, that'd be cool to see him on that. And then the other piece of technology that everyone talks about every week that there's a World Cup race is what's going on with Loic's bike. And I know you're not going to tell me what's going on with Loic's bike, but what I am interested in is how does it work again within the team where you've got what I guess is perceived as an advantage from technology because otherwise you wouldn't be running it if it wasn't an advantage when only one rider in the team has it. And I guess Loic is your lead rider and he's demonstrated that season after season with the results that he gets. But does that ever create issues within the team where one rider's got something that the others don't have? Yeah, we at the beginning we talked about exclusivity 
And it's a bit like that also with Olin's and the relationship between uh, Olin's, Jack and Loic. They've got a super strong relation. And that was an input and an ask from uh, Loic and Jack to have a um, kind of evolution and option on the suspension from Olin's. Then that was normal to have them on the suspension earlier than the other. And it's normal because they were the, the starting point. And uh, during development, sometimes it's hard when you have to prototype one or one or two shock, one or two fork, it's way easier than uh, prototyping 10. Then uh, for me, it was normal to support them and to agree with the strategy to have just one rider on the super new things. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the next future, you will see that uh, it's going to come for the other rider. And uh, certainly Finn will, uh, will have some uh, evolution on, on his suspension. But it's not because he didn't deserve it. It's more about respecting the process we, 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 we all agreed from day one. And then uh, for sure Finn is a super competitive. And for sure Finn was, was uh, racing for the number one or number two uh, uh, overall ranking this season meaning that he's at the highest level. But it doesn't mean that I have to change my mind and change all the industrial process and development process we all agreed three years ago. Yeah. Then uh, we always have a plan and we follow the plan. Mm -hmm. And now the plan is to, to, be, to, to spread a bit the technology. Then uh, maybe next season you will see more about... Uh, what's what's uh, on Loic's bike <laughs> and so was was Finn made aware from the start then that this would be like a three-year development process so he's already kind of bought into yeah. the fact that like okay Loic's testing this thing I'm not going to get it for a while but again equally I guess there's a risk involved with it right any new technology that's being proven out on the race circuit it could malfunction um so Loic's almost in one way you could say he's taking one for the team or you could say he's got a big advantage who knows uh-huh Exactly. And uh, to be honest, it's also about uh, the skills of everybody. And uh, uh, Jack is not scared about electronics and, uh, and uh, welding things. And uh, then uh, I think it was for, for this time of the, the product and the development we did, uh, there were the, the right uh, people uh, um, involved in the project. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think now... Uh, as you uh, you asked, but yeah, Finn was aware about the process and he was aware about uh, the strategy. Then, uh, as soon as everybody knows, then uh, even if they uh, they prefer sometime one or the other option, but as soon as they know the plan, then it's easier for them to understand the choices. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a bit more about the sort of junior development side of things. You've done a lot on that throughout the years with the, the riders that you brought into the team. And I think it was two seasons ago, maybe longer, you sort of separated that junior program out and the Gen S team uh, was founded. I guess interested to hear your thoughts on why a separate program was created and then how you've how you're using that program, what you're looking to do with it. Yeah, Gen S for Generation Specialized is for me the key of the future of uh, Specialized and the, the racing program. It was a program we decided to create with, uh, with Specialized, not only to host and to welcome some uh, junior rider, but also to have people who are not fitting exactly in the gravity uh, team. 
gravity team to be honest when you jump into the program you have to win you are you are you have all the cameras on you all eyes on you uh, all the focus of the partner all the um, uh, yeah everybody is waiting for you to win the race then some sometimes you've got riders like uh, chris grice who are super talented they need more time and they've got other skills they are super good on the media side they are super good on e-bike they are super good to talk to people and uh, and I wanted to be able to keep this type of rider on board. And then we specialized, we decided to create GNS. And GNS for me is is magic because currently with uh, we, we've got World Cup riders, uh, Chris Grice and Isabella Yankova, but we also have super young riders, uh, Rosa Marie Jensen, uh, we have uh, Harry Schofield, we have also... Uh, a rider, Raphael Jambi, a French one who's racing uh, enduro and downhill, then uh, with GNS, we can have them and they, they can keep performing in BMX, in motocross, in downhill, in enduro. And then it's not, it's wide, wide open compared to, to Gravity. Gravity has full resources, the top staff, top level support, but GNS is more wide open and that's the reason why I really trust in this program and I, I'm really involved in it. And in the same time, it offers me the chance to welcome uh, young staff, meaning that we can have staff who will learn in the same time as the, the athletes and they can grow, they can, uh, they can uh, improve everything with the riders. And then it creates super strong link between the staff and the riders. And for me, that's super important because... Everybody is growing in the same time, and I think in five years this team will be really, really strong on the international level and also on the local level. Then that's the goal of this team, and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, nice, and it seems to be be going well so far. It'd be interesting to see where all of those riders end up in a few years' time. And and you've got a a good, strong female talent on there with Isabella. And I think I'm right in saying you haven't had a elite female on the team since Miranda left a few years ago how and you've also mentioned that you look for riders that are going to step onto the podium basically or or take wins um, for that specialized gravity team like how competitive now is it trying to sign a female rider that can do that because there's not a huge amount of them and I'm guessing every team wants at least one of them right yeah Right. The field of uh, female rider is not big enough, even if there is new generation coming, but it's not big enough. And then all the the top female uh, athletes, they are already under contract. Then uh, we were unable to, to welcome a, a female rider in the team. It doesn't mean that I don't have that in mind because uh, with... Uh, with Isabella, I really trust that she can step up her game. And also we have Rosa Marie Jensen from Denmark. She's coming. She's, uh, she's around 14, 15 years old. She's going to be insane. She's, uh, she's so talented. She's good, uh, on a jump bike. She's good on an enduro bike. Uh, she's super fast in downhill. Then, uh, we, uh, we really care. Uh, we, I really want to, to, to have kind of the same success as uh, what we had with Miranda, with, uh, Emily, Emily Rago. And, uh, but it, it will take some time for sure because yeah, all the, all the, the top girls, they are already signed. 
Yeah, it's a tricky, tricky one for sure, but it'd be interesting to see just how that field progresses. It's definitely getting deeper and bigger and, and hopefully the the sport continues to help it grow. Um, I want to talk a bit about high-level workout racing. It feels like certainly specialised gravity is at, at the, you know, the pinnacle of this thing and we hear that the sport's going to get sharper at the top, maybe a smaller field, all this kind of stuff. More outside investment, hopefully, over time as, you know, Eurosport have the potential to put us in front of many more eyes than we have in the past. How do you see things progressing from like a pit set up, from team facilities, hospitality, all of this kind of stuff? Like we get compared to Formula One, but if you go to a Formula One race and a downhill mountain bike race, we're still worlds apart. But how do you see things progressing in, I don't know, like say the next five years? For me, I think uh, we we can't compare to Formula One. We are more a rally or something like that because we have to deliver a show in the mountain and uh, we are not on a circuit. Then uh, uh, I was in Valencia uh, uh, two weeks ago and uh, for the MotoGP final and uh, everything is ready to, to welcome and to host uh, big trucks, hospitality, everything is flat, everything is clean. You've got water, power, you've got the wire for the TV signal. Everything is organized already. But we, our sport, we will never be like that. And we can't ask our sport to be exactly the same. Then, uh, And Formula One, for me, is not a good example also because it's way too much disconnected to the real world. And I don't like that. I prefer MotoGP or Rally. rally. It's way better. And um, I really like the idea to have the sport uh, with a better treatment. I really like the idea to step up the game and it doesn't mean that it's not, it's just all about the money income that the team can have, but it's more for the exposure because our sport and downhill especially, it's super easy to understand. Start, finish, time, the fastest you understand. Then uh, I'm pro cleaning the rules of the sport to be sure that it's going to be way more understandable mm-hmm. with, uh, with the number plates, maybe the protection rule also. I think it was good, the protection rule, to secure the investment of the partner. But now, for for the external uh, point of view, it's harder to understand. Then uh, I think we have to make it cleaner, way more and uh, way more easy to understand. And um, as soon as we care about uh, national, continental, l- local series, I think we can step up the game and have... Uh, a World Cup more elite, mm-hmm. more with less rider, with more exposure. But the key is to care about the base, then to to care about the local, national, continental series. And we must secure and we must invest uh, in this level first to be sure that we can step up the right way. Because if we go too fast and we 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 start to step up the 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 game too early without securing the base in five years there's nothing mm-hmm. the sport will will disappear and whatever will be the number the sport will disappear because if you have no no new rider into the the sport then uh, the sport's gonna end then for me that's the key we have to support local races national races continental races series and then as soon as we secure that for me, there's no limit, and we can we can do a super elite program, super elite uh, series, 
and it's going to match exactly what the TV is looking for. Yeah. Where do you see the ownership coming from for the everything below the top level? Because it's very clear that Warner Brothers Discovery own the elite part of the sport at a world level. But who, when you say we need to, like who do you see as accountable for delivering on national, regional, continental kind of racing and talent progression? When I say we, I, I, I am part of the we. And uh, we, the elite team, we have to support the base. We have to be involved. We have to invest. We have to uh, to take the risk sometimes to sign new rider to uh, to support a local club. I personally invest in a local club uh, because I want I just want them to run the club to be able to run it and not to be sure that we we will have a new Loic Bruni in the club. It's it's uh, super important for me to be sure that uh, Federation Warner Bros, uh, everybody, the partner, the industry. Is he cares about the this base because that's the key of the of the um, of the future of the sport. Then uh, for me it's super important and and I do it. I can't I can't support everybody. I can't support all the local club. I can't support all the riders. But I try to always invest and keep some budget for that. And uh, I hope that everybody will do the same because it's, it's super important. Good on you. Do, do you think that money? coming into the sport via outside investment based on higher viewing figures, hopefully. Do you think that money will trickle down below the World Cup elite level and help fund a lot of this stuff? Like, do you think that's one of the things that makes this possible? We have to create interest. As soon as there is interest, there is audience. And with audience, there is investment. Mm -hmm. And as soon as there is money, it's just a matter of how we split, how we share, how we spread the money. But we need this money income. And uh, in soccer, we are not soccer at all. But in soccer, when uh, a player changed club to another, then there is some uh, royalties back to the first club. Yeah. And and they and you keep the first club of one player will still have some money income when the the player will move to another club and another club and another club. I really like this idea. And um, as yeah, we can run a super high-level show, but as soon as there is money, the easiest part of the the hardest part of the job is done because after it's just a matter of how we split it. And uh, I think in the in the in the team area in the team, all the all the managers and uh, all the brands involved, we are smart enough to know that if there is some big money income from a non-endemic partner, we have to to use that not only for the top level, but also for the base. Yeah. And uh, for me, it will work. And are you starting to see any signs of that and non, like non-bike industry money starting to come in? Like, I assume that as a team manager, you get some level of information from Warner Brothers on viewing figures this year compared to previous and that enables you to start having conversations with maybe new brands that haven't been involved in the sport before. Like, how far do you think we're off starting to see that investment level ramping up? Uh, the media report is going to be uh, official in a uh, in few weeks. Then for the moment, I don't have 
any official number. Uh-huh. And um, I know that they are pretty happy when I say they on Ambrose and uh, and uh, and the, the the people involved, Chris Ball and the people involved in the in the program. But I know that they are happy about the numbers. For sure, the numbers will help to spread uh, the the sport and to uh, to have non-endemic par- partner coming in. We already have some. For example, Loic signed a partnership with uh, Frinza. Hmm. It's a Spanish brand who's doing some uh, food yeah. and uh, cans, and um, they are they are supporting uh, uh, Jorge Prado in uh, motocross. They are supporting a Moto3 um, team. Then they are they are coming into the mountain bikes. That's super good to have them on board. I really trust that we will have some uh, new uh, new brands coming in as soon as the number will be good because this type of brand they don't know well the sport. What they need is big number, and I think uh, with Eurosport and Warner Bros, we can have this big number for sure. We have to keep the core audience super happy because. I don't want to create a show that the core people uh, will not like. Yeah. And I want to be sure that the core people will like it. But sometimes the core people, they are super slow to change that, their mind. And that's the problem. And uh, for me, to be honest, I really loved what uh, Red Bull Media House did. Because for the core audience, they, I think they did the best job ever. Mm-hmm. But what Warner Bros. is doing is that they are making the sports more accessible and they are they are trying to make the sport uh with a bigger audience and i really loved uh, watching uh, the the series this year and for example for me the benchmark was uh Lou Danviel this year it was top to bottom camera everywhere a real feeling of the speed top section open section the drone following uh, the rider following loic and uh you can feel the 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 speed the height of the job the jump and I really liked what they did. And I think now the sport is ready to be uh, to to open up the audience. And I really like what they did this year. Good stuff, man. It's good to hear that. And it's going to be yeah, super interesting to see how things progress over the next few years. There's a lot a lot of exciting stuff ahead of us. Hopefully, um, we're getting close to the end of our time. But before we do that, um, I just want to ask if you've got any advice for people wanting to go into team management or to work within a team in the mountain bike world somewhere? Like what advice would you give to people? Uh, uh, we need good people to come on board because uh, if we want good competition, we need good brands and good competitors uh, against uh, to race against. Then um, if some people who are not in uh, the business, they want to join, it's a good idea. The only thing is that it's not a job only. It's uh, you. You must have a big heart, and uh, you must be in love with the sport. Because uh, I started uh, running a local team when I when I was 19 years old, and uh, at the beginning it was uh, like uh, just a fire camp, a tent. We were in Pay in France uh, under the snow, and uh, we had to uh, we had to share the money to pay the petrol for the car, and uh, it started like that, and. And uh, for sure now it's way easier. I fly, I have a, I have a van, big van, big truck, and it's way easier. But without without love of the sport, without big heart, you can't you can't start in this sport. Then I think that's the most important thing. If you really love this sport, there is some room, there is some space for you. You can do a really good thing, but you uh, you must be in love with the sport. Good advice, man. Yeah, definitely feel that 
uh, as a very true thing for anyone really wanting to get involved. It's got to be a deep, a deep passion for you, but there's plenty of people out there that feel that way about it. So that's good. That's good for the sport. Thank you, man. It's been really interesting chatting. Um, if people want to follow the team throughout the upcoming seasons, where's the best place for them to head? You've got a, a team Instagram, I think. Yeah, Specialized Gravity. And we have got also the websites. We've got a TikTok. And uh, yeah, also the same for Genes. It's under Generation Specialized. Mm -hmm. Then uh, it's also a program to care, then uh, to take care of. Then, uh, yeah, follow us and... Uh, and uh, we also we we still have some good crazy ideas to to keep uh, the highest uh, entertainment. Good stuff. I'll stick links to uh, to all of the stuff for both the teams in the show notes for this episode. But yeah, thanks for your time, Lauren. Hope you have a good rest of the off season and look forward to seeing all your riders smashing it on track in twenty twenty four. Yeah, we are ready. Can't wait. <laughs> nice one. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chris. that's it for this episode with Lauren. I really hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to help support the podcast this year, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also support by grabbing some of our fully updated merch lineup, which is now delivering locally in the US as well as the UK. So whether it's t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies or mugs, stickers and tote bags, we've got you covered at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We'll have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>